Hello and welcome to the Nutrition with Rebecca podcast. This podcast is designed to empower you with the knowledge to live a healthy and happy life. My ethos is sustainability and my aim is to leave you better than I found you. I am a complete foodie, lover of all animals, recovering perfectionist, with a passion to help many achieve a life of health and well-being. I hope you take a lot from this podcast and thank you so much for tuning in. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Nutrition with Rebecca podcast. You're joined by me, your host, Rebecca. And of course, as always, my wonderful sidekick, Edith, who is right now snoozing after our morning walk. So here's hoping she isn't going to make her presence known today. Anyway, today I'm going to finally, finally help you all understand the real difference between good and bad food. I'm going to define good food, detail all the bad food and give you an extensive list of what you absolutely need to eat and what you really should avoid. Ready? Okay, let's go. Oh, sorry. You thought I was being serious, right? (laughs) No. This wild weather has me trying to be a little bit funny. Trying being the optimal word there. Sorry, guys. If you're here for the above, you're out of luck. Especially for me to tell you what to eat. Those of you who know me know that I am not here for diet plans. Unless on a very subjective level, where those with ADHD or coming away from binge eating recovery may benefit from the structure. But that's for another podcast. And again, that's on a very individual level. I do, however, want to make this podcast an episode to help you gain some clarity and work through the labels and the descriptions that ultimately do affect your relationship with food, your relationship with yourself and your health, and they actually inhibit you achieving lasting results. You cannot have a healthy relationship with food if you're calling food good or bad. And there is literally no literature that indicates any single food is inherently good or bad, nor any literature that states any single food causes weight gain or weight loss nor any literature that concludes there is a quote-unquote best diet or way to eat, in inverted commas, for fat loss or any dietary intervention. But, like, I can't just sit here and say that, right? Because, of course, you're going to go away, listen to this, and be like, well, I still think it. I still think there is good and bad food because it's a deep ingrained belief, isn't it? It's a deep ingrained belief that's now within pathways to the brain through years of manifestation over diet culture and this perception that we now hold. But why do we associate food as good and bad? And as I said, I do I do genuinely believe it comes from diet culture, from years of the compounding message around the only two elements to improve your health are that of nutrition and exercise. That in itself misses out the multifaceted puzzle of health. Food then loses its true identity to this messaging, right? Food now becomes a weapon that many try and control because of this perception that it drives health success, which perpetuates the idea that you must do this perfectly to achieve your results. 
And with the moral weight that is now held in food as being a cups to achieve these goals, people follow a path of restriction, removing food groups, restricting ultra-processed foods, throwing marketing that is simply designed to profit from our vulnerabilities. You can go out for a meal and you can have the healthy menu or the healthy options, or you go shopping and you have the healthier snacks, or you have the treat aisle. But have you noticed actually with those that the more nutritionally dense foods are further out of reach? Whilst this message is portrayed, it's now less convenient than ever to access foods that you deem as being good within initial reach. So not only do you hold this assumption of certain foods being bad, but you are also less exposed to those initially, like to the more quote unquote good foods. And as I say, these are in inverted commas. So we've got all of this, right? Compounding over years that many of you hold a deep ingrained belief around these foods being good and bad. And these subconscious thoughts do preoccupy our mind. Treats, naughty food, bad food, good food, clean food, all of these words give moral value to food and heighten a novelty around them, which do lead to all or nothing thinking. And then when you're exposed to them, you're overeating them, right? You see them in the in the, in the shop and you're going down the sweet aisle and you're like, oh, I haven't had chocolate for ages. Chocolate is so bad. I'm getting all of the chocolate. Then you're falling into this spiral of shame, of guilt, of feeling like you've done something wrong. And that's the perfectionism that you're holding and a perfectionism of meticulously trying to control the food that you're eating because you have this deep ingrained belief that you must only eat the foods that you put into a good category and not eat any of the food that you put into a bad category. But that is directly impacting your behaviours towards your nutrition. It's directly impacting your thoughts towards yourself. And then it's a constant battle to try and avoid or restrict these foods because of the belief of success coming from perfection. So actively trying to control every single action that you're doing, but it's leading you to a lack of control. And this is directly associated with disordered eating behaviours. So what does the pattern look like, right? You believe, insert food is bad. You try and avoid this certain food. This food's novelty is heightened. You're exposed to this food because it's inevitable that you will be. This food talks to you. You eat it, overeat it, some even binge and lose control. And you fall into that spiral of shame, of guilt. You give up or you start again. And that's that continuous cycle, isn't it? That is exaggerating emotional fatigue. It's bringing about psychological strain. You're preoccupied by these foods. And now you probably even portray that out loud to other people. Should you be eating that? That's bad. Oh, are you dieting? Is that why you're eating that? And all of this is internalised, isn't it? And of course, it's everywhere we look in society. Now, zooming out, right? The food that you believe is bad, somebody else might not believe is bad. So again, it's a perception, isn't it? And likewise with good food, many people would probably believe avocados are good. I don't like avocados, so I wouldn't be eating avocados. 
But if I held the belief that avocados were good and I tried to make myself eat avocados, I would be lacking psychological satisfaction, increasing food preoccupation and likely overeating. So it's not the food that's the problem, is it? No, it's absolutely not. Because like I said, it's as simple as it's not in the literature. There is no food in science that is going to cause you to gain weight. We gain weight through eating in a calorie surplus, eating above our energy needs for a period of time, not day to day, guys, for a significant period of time. You've got to be eating 40 to 70% above your maintenance calories for at least 30 days for you to gain body fat. If you're using the scales as a metric of success, they will fluctuate day to day and they will fluctuate with the type of food you eat, but we'll come on to that. So with it not being the food that's the problem, we can recognise that actually it's a story you're telling yourself about the food, which is held in this misbelief from years of messaging that is leading you down this yo-yo path, that is leading you into this all or nothing, the shame, the guilt, the spiral. And can you really see yourself avoiding certain foods forever? No, absolutely not. And you cannot be giving yourself unconditional permission to eat if you are still identifying with foods as being good or bad. So I regularly have conversations with people around um, their relationship with food and like, yeah, I have an inclusive diet and I give myself unconditional permission to eat. In the next breath, I'm going out and I'm going to have a treat. I'm going to have something naughty. No, because you've still got this subconscious belief then that you have, you are doing something wrong, that you are eating something that is going to make you feel somewhat less than and it's not aligned to your goals. And like choices with nutrition are not just about eating protein and eating fibre. A healthy choice is about living in the moment without judgment, with awareness, without preoccupation, without food focus and the situation being more than just the food. And if you're identifying with foods as being these words, it creates that dichotomy and it leads to the abstinence violation effect. Example, you've allowed a slice of cake, but you believe that cake is bad. The minor violation of eating a small portion of of cake triggers the brain to go, might as well eat it all because of the associated language of this being bad. And abstinence violation effect leads to extreme behaviours during a lapse. So thinking reactively and emotionally, not cognitively. And unconditional permission to eat comes with food neutrality, right? In which you eat with the presence, you eat without the judgment, with awareness, cognitively. So you've got so much judgment if you're labelling things as being bad. And then you've got the AVE of this, which exacerbates the I might as well just eat all of this. I might as well. All or nothing, right? So food neutrality should be an end goal. So getting out of the rut of diet culture with misbeliefs around nutrition and getting to food freedom, it's flexible. It's balance. So your language and beliefs around food really do impact your behaviours. And your behaviours impact your results. Food doesn't happen to us. It's a behaviour. And food labels, moral descriptions, as I mentioned, are linked to disordered eating patterns. Now, all of that said, food quality is very important. And it is worth me talking about to help you get to that place of food neutrality. 
to help you get to a place of food freedom, flexibility and balance. I don't want you to sit there, listen to this and take uh, take it home that Rebecca has said you can eat whatever you want without repercussions. If only it was that simple. It's not. Especially when considering health com- health outcomes, especially when we consider the environment that we live in now that is obesogenic. It is convenience. As I mentioned earlier, like you're more exposed to hyperpalatable, ultra-processed foods now than ever before. And the quote-unquote nutritionally dense foods are further out of reach. And there's so many studies about this. There was a really cool study around like popcorn and apples and the environment that they were in. So when the popcorn was closer to individuals than the apples, the there was a more, there was a greater increase, sorry, in the amount of popcorn consumed. However, when they switched that round, there was a significantly less amount of popcorn consumed in comparison to apples and people ate more apples because it was more convenient for them in their environment. So if you've been in the industry for as long as I have, you've probably heard the, if it fits your macros, hmm, which is one of the most unhelpful messages. Basically, eat like an asshole and you'll get results. As long as it fits your calories. But we know that things like protein is important for muscle protein synthesis, for mitigating some anabolic resistance as we age, supporting peri and postmenopause, things like protein synthesis, which is the generation of amino acids within the body. Fibre is very important for gut health, to support your immune system, to support digestion, making sure that our gut microbiome is nice and healthy. So the quality of your meals is very important. And the quality actually will impact the quantity of your meals. And now I'm just going to talk about research again. There is some really cool research about like the weight and food that we eat. So we're more driven as humans not to eat calories, to eat the like weight density of food. And it's, I mean... Nobody's going to sit there shocked that 300 grams of strawberries is significantly lower than like 300 grams of chocolate when we're looking at energy density. But it's not actually that you want 300 grams per se of chocolate, more this really cool study indicated that people were driven to eat the weight, say like 300 grams of strawberries as an example. So whilst energy balance is key to your goals, like a negative or positive, dependent upon what you're striving for, there is a significant difference between eating to fit your calories and eating for your overall health and eating for longevity as well and eating for things like aging. So you can eat ultra processed foods every day that will quote unquote fit your calories. However, (laughs) the outcome to your day is likely to look like sluggish, drops in energy, cravings, poor sleep, food focus, versus eating a variety of fruit, vegetables, less processed foods, more whole foods, this quality, greater supporting an outcome that looks like more energy, better focus, reduction in food focus, no cravings, feelings of wellness. Right. Okay, that's not to say you cannot eat ultra-processed foods. You absolutely can, and you can enjoy them, but they shouldn't take up the vast majority of your diet if you're looking at long-term health comes. These foods trigger reward sensors in the brain that seek out more leading to lower consistency, lower levels of results. So what can you do? As a rule of thumb, I advise my clients to get six to 10 fruit and vegetables per day. 
aiming for around about 30 grams of dietary fiber and their protein target that is true to those. Now, as a baseline, women should be getting 100 grams, men around 200 grams. Um, Menopausal women and people who are looking at muscle building could do with a little bit more. Vegans, vegetarians, they also need a little bit more. But as a baseline, I recommend all females 100 grams, all males 200 grams-ish. It's a very subjective level as well. So if you're working with me and yours is a little bit different, then there'll be a reason behind that. Um, the rest then you can use as you like, which is important in an inclusive dietary approach, a dietary intervention that allows for all foods within a diet that supports balance. So when a lot of my clients start with me, they chat to me about just wanting a normal relationship with food, where they can feel comfortable around food, with peace, without, without, sorry, preoccupation, with awareness, without that judgment. But they do have this overarching focus on just eating healthy food. They eat just healthy food, but can't lose weight, something that we hear quite frequently. And the fixation of the healthy food leads to not only a natural desire for more food because of the lack of the psychological satisfaction, but feeds the lack of control from avoidance foods that they deem less than, which then exacerbates overeating, which then drives people farther away from their goals. So following the above guidelines where you're eating enough protein, where you're eating 30 grams of dietary fiber coming from whole food sources, not just getting all of your dietary fiber from fiber ones and grenade bars because they contain polyos, which is not a natural source of fiber, and then eating within a calorie target that is true to you, that for the majority of the time brings about that 80-20 balance that you've likely heard. It allows for all foods to be included, but with the balance. Not only that, the novelty of the food is significantly reduced because you know that they are not off limits and you can eat them any day of the week, any hour of the day, which allows for more awareness with intentional action driven to the consumption of the food. Now, however, some weeks that might look like 90-10, some weeks 70-30, some even 50-50. But considering the long-term exposure to all foods and how it's only increasing with our environment, food neutrality is so important. So think about how you want to feel when you're on holiday, at a party, with spontaneous events. And if you're sort of saying to yourself, right, okay, so I'm going to hit my protein. I'm going to look at like 25 grams per meal. I'm going to look at eating a variety of fruit and vegetables because that's going to support my gut health. My It's going to support serotonin. It's going to support dopamine. It's going to support my gut microbiome. It's going to support my immune system. Okay, what can I do with the rest of my calories? And that's basically it, in a nutshell. But it's the story you're telling yourself about it. It's the story you're telling yourself about eating chocolate every day, that you believe it's bad. But again, there's nothing. There's nothing to say that chocolate is bad. And say, if you've hit your protein, you've hit your dietary fibre, and you have 200 calories left for the day, why not eat a Twix? Why not? And if you're avoiding that food next time you're exposed to it, then you will overeat it. So surely, more methodically, it would make sense to include these foods more frequently. So that food neutrality is a place of flexibility and freedom with no labels on foods. Eating with an intentional choice, being mindful of your emotions, present in the moment with a variety of food. There is no such thing as good or bad food. Food labels, descriptions have no place in food neutrality. And you cannot be following an inclusive dietary approach if you label certain foods as cheat or treat. This language is instilling that level of dichotomous thinking, that all or nothing action, which is leading you to the spiral of guilt, shame, and preventing you actually getting results. 
You can have a meal without it being a cheat. You can have a cookie without it being a treat. You can eat chocolate without it being bad. And getting to a place of food neutrality with an inclusive dietary approach allows you to feel free of food rules and preoccupation with nutrition and finally achieve your results and shockingly sustain them long-term. So if you find yourself struggling with food labels, consider this. Can I actively see myself doing this for the long-term? No. Right. Maybe I work through this. And here's some prompts, right? First one. What beliefs do I hold around insert food being bad, a treat, cheat, etc.? Are these from previous dietary restrictions? Have these thoughts benefited me? In the context of my dietary approach, including these with moderation will help me feel, hmm, how can I include these foods in my diet to support my weight maintenance and relationship with food and achieving my goals should my goal be fat loss? This is all going to reduce the preoccupation. It's going to improve your relationship with food. And remember that relationship with food is something you will always be working on. It's a relationship, just like all your other relationships. But it's a relationship you really can thrive with. It's a relationship you really can flourish with. So I hope that has helped you guys. And if you're sat there thinking, right, do you know what? I could really do with some support through this. This is what I do. I help you work on your relationship with food, get out of the rut that diet culture has put you in, finally flourish and achieve your goals in a manageable and sustainable way. I will link my details below for coaching. And as always, if you have any questions, please do reach out. Oh, I really should say this as well because I never do say this. If you think someone would benefit from this podcast, like just, just you listening to it, I appreciate you so much and I'm so grateful for all of my listeners. Literally, it brings me so much joy. But if you do think somebody would benefit from this, please do share, please do like, please do give me some feedback because that helps me keep continuing with this and delivering as much information as I can to support you all. Thank you again.